text, as I mentioned, is the epistle reading from Revelation 21. Heaven can be a bit perplexing to us. We want to go there, but we're told it's full of pleasures that must seem strange to some. A nonstop church service with lots of singing, no marriage, and no mention of ice cream. I think most threatening is the nonstop church service when so many people try to avoid that here down below. I fear that many are interested in heaven simply because the other alternative is so nasty. Our expectations are clouded by the fact that, to use St. Paul's metaphor, we're looking at the whole thing through a dirty mirror. There's a story that might help to make the problem a bit clearer. A father had a conversation with his four-year-old son on the issue of honeymoons. Andrew, when you grow up, if you get married, your honeymoon will be one of the happiest times of your life. Oh, you mean I get to take my toy dinosaurs along? Uh, no, <laughs> you probably won't want to but you'll still have a fantastic time. Well, then can Jeffrey from next door come along on my honeymoon? No, sorry, Jeffrey can't come. Then I don't know if I want to go on a honeymoon, Daddy. It doesn't sound like much fun to me. C.S. Lewis uses the illustration when talking about heaven of a child playing in a mud puddle who has never seen the ocean and that child not wanting to leave the familiar fun of his mud hole for a promised day at the beach, simply because he doesn't understand it. In our epistle for today, John describes the goal of history when, after the judgment, God's people will be with him forever in a new heaven and a new earth. Our problem, though, here is that we think old. Four times the word new is used in this lesson to describe heaven. A new heaven, a new earth, new Jerusalem. Behold, I make all things new. This is heavily emphasized because life in heaven will be so different from life on earth. The text says the former things have passed away. This was already foretold in the 65th chapter of Isaiah, where God says, For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. We doubtless shall be thrilled with endless surprises at all the new things in heaven. One thing heaven will never be, it will not be a letdown. When the state of Georgia bought the mansion of millionaire William Rockefeller on Jekyll Island, it was curious to open the walk-in safe. It's a Rockefeller mansion, hey. What treasures would that safe be holding? And when the safe was finally opened, it contained half a bottle of wine and a set of false teeth. You may also be old enough to remember the hype of Geraldo opening Al Capone's secret tunnel on TV, and what was there? Nothing. Heaven will never be a letdown like that. 
The rare beauty of the church in glory is compared in Revelation to a bride adorned for her husband. When in her life does a woman ever look prettier or more radiant than at her wedding? Some words of Paul in 1 Corinthians can apply to heaven, for he writes, What no eye has seen, no ear heard, nor the heart of man conceived, what God has prepared for those who love him. When Thomas Edison lay dying, he could hardly speak, according to his widow. His doctor, who was also a friend of the family, observed that Edison was trying to say something. He bent down very close and heard the inventor whisper, it's very beautiful over there. Those were his last words. Those could be a person's first words in heaven. It's very beautiful here. But what makes heaven heaven is not our idea of beauty, but simply that God is there. He is the heart of heaven. And St. John makes that clear elsewhere in this chapter by speaking of the Lamb on the throne in the midst of the city. Here on earth, we experience God only indirectly through means, means of grace such as his word and his sacraments, or even through the ministering of others, again, indirectly, seeing in a mirror dimly. In heaven, our experience of God will be direct, Behold, the dwelling of God is with men, John writes. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them. Later on, John tells us that the city, the new Jerusalem, the church, which the city is, is made of jasper, clear as crystal, and of transparent gold. This strange description is meant to tell us that as Light fills transparent objects through and through, so God will fill his people directly, immediately, through and through. When Jesus was born, he was called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. When we reach heaven by God's mercy in Christ, we shall see God with us face to face and spend eternity with his selfless love in our midst enlivening us through and through. God promises it, who dares to doubt it? It is this being in his presence which itself will drive away every evil and that makes heaven the ideal place that it is. You see, heaven will bring us a reunion with our rescuer. Lisa Green was three years old when she was rescued from the smoke and flames that engulfed her family home in Brooklyn in 1975. A city firefighter named Marvin Bunch arrived at the scene to find three women on the porch of the burning house screaming that there were children trapped upstairs. Bunch crawled upstairs at the risk of his life and brought Lisa Green out in his arms unconscious. Two other children were also rescued. Fourteen years later, Lisa phoned the New York City Fire Department and learned that the person who had saved her life was a retired fire captain living in Las Vegas. Her family bought, brought the Bunch family to New York as guests of honor for Lisa's high school graduation and for a lunch afterward. 
Bunch said of his taking her to the hospital unconscious 14 years before, I was up all night until I got the report that she was alive. Lisa was ecstatic to be in the presence of the one who had saved her life and to be able to thank him profusely and honor him gratefully. In heaven, by God's grace, we're going to be in the same boat. We shall have the privilege of living forever in the presence of our divine rescuer who plucked us out of the hell fire and judgment as we thank him profusely and honor him gratefully. And he will continue to, as John tells us, wipe every tear from your eye and from mine. The vision goes on to say, and death shall be no more. This was also foretold in the prophecy of Isaiah where we read of God, he will swallow up death forever. Paul echoes that prophecy in his words. 1 Corinthians 15, death is swallowed up in victory. He quotes Isaiah in describing Jesus' Easter victory over death. On earth, many people, even Christians, live under the fear of death all their lives. In heaven, no such thing. There's even a Bible verse that mentions it, Hebrews 2.15, which says Christ came to deliver all those who through the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. That fear will be absolutely unknown when there is no more death. God is life, and he is in the midst of his people forever. There can be no more dying or pain. What steel this thought must have put into the hearts of Christians who were being cruelly persecuted when this vision was first written down by John? What steel that can put into the hearts of Christians today who are struggling on their sickbed with the pain of disease or who are so distressed in life that they hardly feel that they can hang on another minute longer. No more suffering, no more sickness, no more heartache, no more pain, no more evil. A big part of Earth's pain is separation from loved ones when death takes them from us. In heaven, there will be no more separations of those gathered around God's presence. John, the author of the book of Revelation, was separated from all the friends he loved by being exiled on that lonely island called Patmos. How he must have longed for the life to come in which there will be no more separations. Every time we lose a loved one in Christ by death, we can hunger even more in our hearts for heaven's eternal togetherness in Christ. Heaven is the destination of God's people. This is declared in the words of him who sat on the throne saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Alpha and Omega were, of course, the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet, the A and the Z for us. God is saying here that he is the source of our life on earth and the destination of that life in heaven. He is all in all for us. It is done, the voice says from the throne in the lesson today, signifying that everything necessary to enable a believer to attain heaven in the end 
has been done through Christ's life, death, and resurrection for our sake. Nothing more can be added by us or by anybody else. And that is why the city, the church, adorned like a bride for her husband, is described repeatedly in Revelation as coming down from God out of heaven. John does not mean that the church kept coming up and down like some celestial yo-yo. What he means is that the church is a coming down from God kind of thing. It is what it is because he made it what it is. It is the death of the lamb and his victorious resurrection as also the lion of the tribe of Judah and that alone which makes us what we are. He is our goal and he is the door to that goal and he is the way to that door. Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true, the angel told John. If God is our destination in heaven, then this earthly life is a pilgrimage toward that destination. A survivor of a plane crash near Sioux City, Iowa said, surprised that she was still alive, here I was sitting on the edge of eternity. Great line. Aren't we all, when we think about it, sitting on the edge of eternity every day of our lives? The journey of this earthly pilgrimage may be long or it might be short, but its destination for those in Christ is the same. We meet at the throne of God in glory, there to rejoice in his presence forever. But remember that John also saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God repeatedly. It's a quality kind of thing, too. This suggests that we can have heaven on earth, at least to a small degree, when Christ lives and rules in our hearts. It changes the way that we see things. It changes our outlook on life. It changes our outlook on others and our relationship to them. We see them with new eyes. Paul put it this way. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If you yourself are struggling with mountainous problems or groaning under crushing burdens or crying rivers of tears, or being persecuted by merciless adversaries, or walking through the valley of the shadow of death, hold on, hold on to the vision of God's destiny for you, which John saw for you. The destination is a thousand times better than the journey. For at the end, once again, God will wipe away all the sorrows and pain and discouragement of that pilgrimage here on earth. He has said it. He will do it. Amen. And may the peace of God which passes understanding keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.